This passage that we have been looking at for the last couple of Sundays in the Gospel of John is just filled with different messages to us. And so I've been trying to just glean out all the different messages that, that God wants to get to us through this particular passage. This was Jesus' first miracle, and he did it to reveal the fact that he is the Messiah. And the, what I want to look at this morning is first of all, that, that Jesus was a person who loved joy. And if we really are his disciples, if we really do pattern our lives after his, then we will also. In John 15, 11, Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, or sometimes it's translated full. And when Jesus was born, do you remember the angels said, we come with tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Jesus brings joy. And we see this by the fact that he did his first miracle here in a joyful setting. And in fact, he didn't want a fiasco to happen. I think it's uh, uh, significant to note that this happened in a little nondescript town. It was within Cana, was in, within eyeshot of Nazareth. It's probably two miles away. So it was close. And so you know that the people in Cana and in Nazareth, they knew each other. They, they were interconnected, probably about like St. Philip and Seeley or St. Philip and Brookshire. You know, we, we have these, uh, ties between these different, uh, communities like this. And so there were those ties. And the people that were invited to this wedding were friends and relatives. And we're not sure. Tradition says that Mary was related to uh, the uh, 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 to the bride's side of the family, but uh, we don't have that in stone in the scriptures. But either they were very dear friends or they were relatives, and they were there. You know, I've been to a lot of weddings. And there's a lot of tension, I hate to say, as a wedding approaches. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, I've done hundreds of weddings myself. And there's all different sorts of tensions that, that come. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, we just, just who's going to be invited? Who's not going to be invited? I have seen weddings that were going to be just me and a couple turn out filling a sanctuary uh, because the guest list first came about. They weren't going to have any guests to begin with. And then, well, we've got to invite our family and well, we've got to invite these people. And, and then it just grows and grows. And then when you get other people involved, uh, when you get the families involved, so many people have their own idea 
as to what another person's wedding should be like. In fact, there's a movie that was, uh, I, saw, I saw it several years ago, and it was about uh, this couple. They were from very different ethnic and cultural backgrounds. And they were getting married, and they were so happy they were getting married, but then the families started saying, well, of course, you're going to serve this sort of food at the reception. And uh, of course, you're going to, the bridesmaids are going to wear these kind of clothes. And both sides, which had very, very different ideas as to what food and dress and everything should be, and even what should take place in the ceremony, they all got involved and it was just uh, really getting crazy. And this couple had to keep looking at each other and saying, our marriage, their wedding, our marriage, their wedding. And that's about what it gets down to sometimes. But there's this tension many times and everybody wants everything to be perfect. And But then whenever the ceremony is over, all of a sudden you can just sense this sigh of relief. And as you go into the reception, all of a sudden, there's real joy. We didn't stumble over our vows. Uh, the ring bearer didn't drop the ring in the grass. Uh, all this, the tension is gone. And you can just enjoy the fact that these two people are now starting out as husband and wife. Well, that's the point that we've gotten to in this story and yet, you can almost hear like the theme from Jaws coming. Here comes a great fiasco. They're going to run out of wine. And Jesus' mother saw this. And so she goes to her son and she says, they're running out of wine. And so Jesus responds to her. And some people think that it's kind of a put down the response that he gives, but it's not really. First of all, he says, woman, what does this have to do with us? But whenever he says woman, that's the same word that he uses to address her when he's hanging on the cross. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of closeness. It's a title uh, of, of, of deep closeness. Whenever he says woman, it's filled with love. When he's hanging on the cross, he tells Mary, woman, behold your son. And he tells John, behold your mother. And he entrusts his mother to John for safekeeping and care. And so it wasn't a put down. It wasn't getting on, on to her in any way. And she picked up on that. And so that's why she turns around and she says, you just do what he tells you to do. His timing was the best. He knew exactly what to do and, and how to do it. And back then, you know, you couldn't run off to a store and get more wine. There wasn't a, they didn't have places they'd lay where they was, it wasn't like that back then. And so he tells them what to do. They do it. And the fiasco is totally averted. And I think it's amazing. I doubt. They may find out afterward, but at that point in time, the bridegroom and the bride had no idea what Jesus had done. 
Sometimes our intercessions on behalf of other people can cause them to uh, not have to experience terrible things in their lives. And they may never even know what the Lord did for them. But you know, you know, and I've seen that happen so many times where I have uh, uh, prayed for someone or I have not even known what to do and prayed about Lord, what to do about it. And the Lord's helped me to make a difference and other people in the family didn't even know what was going on. But uh, anyway, I really think that John prompted by the Holy Spirit uh, includes this story so that everyone can know uh, the spirituality Jesus gives is not drab or lifeless. This story is included to make sure that we know that Jesus believed in marriage. He believed in festivity and he enjoyed a good party. Okay. Uh, and by the way, this would later be a criticism made against him by the Pharisees that he had too much fun. They contrasted him to, to John. In Matthew eleven nineteen. he says, And I, the Son of Man, feast and drink, and you say, He's a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of the worst sort of sinners. And so we're cautioned here that we shouldn't be like the Pharisees, that we should be rejoicing because we have so much to rejoice about. And we should be trying to help other people along and helping to fulfill their joy. And the thing is, that's another thing in marriage is uh, whenever you're really in a good marriage, you're going to be exploring each other and finding out what's going to be bringing joy to that other person and fulfillment to that other person. And to the best of your ability, trying to provide it before they even ask. With all this in mind, I want to ask you a really important question. Where do you go when the wine runs out? And whenever I say that, what I mean is, where do we go when we have a need that we can't handle on our own? When we have a problem that we can't face by ourselves. You see, this story underscores the fact that in these times, Jesus wants to help. And we're encouraged to take our needs to him, both great and small. I can look at times in my life when the wine ran out. Times when it's run out physically. Times when it's run out uh, financially, times when it's run out emotionally. And I have learned to take a cue from Mary. First of all, the thing that we need to do is to take it to the Lord and trust in his character. Trust that he cares. Trust that he is able. Trust that he is willing. Take it to him in faith, and then do what he says to do. And that's not, it, it's sometimes that might not even be connected or it might not seem connected to what is going on at hand.
It's kind of like whenever you're praying, sometimes uh, whenever I start to pray, I may go to the Lord, I'll have this great need I need to pray about. And all this other stuff will be whirling around in my head so I can't concentrate on what I really wanted to pray about. And I've had to many times just stop and say, wait a minute, I'm here with the Lord. I've got to trust that he is ordering my prayers. And so I'll take the first thing that pops into my head, pray that through. And then the other thing that was flying around, pray that through. And then the other thing. And many times by the time I get through praying about all those other things, what I had come to him thinking it was my great concern, I realize it's really already been taken care of. And uh, I don't know how many times that's happened to me. So just let him order your prayers. Let him order your actions and, uh, and just do what he tells you to do. Here they're out of wine and he tells them to fill up stone jars with water. What does that have to do with wine? You know, uh, but what he had them do didn't really seem to be connected at the moment. And now then take some of that water, which is now wine, to the steward. You know, they, they just went through the motions of being obedient to him and what was put before them to do. And as they did, it was transformed into something fantastic. And that's the way he works with us. And it may not even be noticeable to anybody around us. But all we know is somewhere along the way, something happened. Something changed. And all of a sudden, everything's okay. Well, this is what we need to do. And we, first of all, we need to know that he can do big things. When you and I face impossible challenges in life, we go to Jesus because we know he's able to help. We know he can do the impossible. And his disciples learned this. Jesus is the miracle worker. And by the way, this is a good time to remind you that according to John, the main reason Jesus did miracles like this was to get people's attention and to cause them to focus not on the miracle itself, but on the miracle worker. Miracles were done as signs that Jesus was the Messiah. Signs that would lead people to believe and put their faith in him. John's purpose statement, he, he gives later on, the reason he gave for writing his gospel is found in John 20, verses 30 through 31. He said, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. John tells us that this first sign accomplished that purpose. Look at verse 11, the last verse that we read today, where it says, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith 
in him. Well, Mary already knew who Jesus was. She knew that he was the son of God Almighty. And this is why she trusted him to deal with this wedding feast fiasco. She knew that as God in the flesh, he had the power to take care of literally anything. And so she went to him when a miracle was needed. She went to Jesus when the wine ran out. And we see uh, Mary's caliber of faith in our Lord. Faith that leads us to bring our problems and our challenges, even the big ones, to him. Leland Wong, an evangelist to Chinese people in America, put three biblical texts at the top of his letterhead. The first is Joshua 10:13, the sun stood still. And then 2 Kings 6:6, 6, 6, the iron did float. And Psalm 48:14, this God is our God. The sun stood still, the iron did float. This God is our God. I like that. I think I'm, I'm thinking about changing my letterhead up to include that. That's just inspiring. This God is our God. The God that can cause iron to float and the God that can actually cause the sun to stand still. God possesses, A.W. Tozer put it this way. God possesses what no creature can an incomprehensible plentitude of power, a potency that is absolute. And as God himself puts it in Jeremiah 32, 27, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? And of course, the answer is no. Our almighty God can do anything. To say that there's something that God cannot do, uh, to say that God can't do a miracle, which by definition is something that occurs outside natural law, is in essence to deify that law and make it God. And by the way, we tend to forget that the natural law itself is a miracle of God. I mean, I get overwhelmed with that weekly. I don't know if you do existence just blows my mind. You know, the fact that we're even sitting here, that there is someone who has been around forever. And if he hadn't been, we wouldn't be here right now. And that just makes my head spin whenever I start thinking about it. And it just rejuvenates my faith in God. I know he's here because I'm here. Okay, so anyway, as J.N. Hawthorne puts it, miracles are unusual events caused by God. The laws of nature are generalizations about ordinary events caused by God. In other words, miracles are going on around us every minute. The fact that you can hear what I'm saying is a miracle of God. The fact that you can breathe air and your heart can pump blood is a miracle. And it goes on. 
Another thing, as Christians, if we are to do anything great for God, anything lasting, it requires us to believe in his limitless power, power that can handle the big things in life. There's some people that think that things are just too big for God. And because that, they don't attempt big things for God. Years ago, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse preached at Princeton's chapel. And when he finished, his old Hebrew professor came up to him and complimented him on his message saying, I'm glad you believe I'm glad that I'm sorry. He said, I'm glad you're a big godder, Donald. And uh, Donald Barnhouse asked him to explain. And he said, some men have a little God and they're always in trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He can't take care of the inspiration of scripture. They have a little God and I call them little godders. Then there are those who have a great God. He speaks and it is done. He commands and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those that fear him. You have a great God, Donald, and he will bless your ministry. And of course, he did. Well, let me ask you, are you a big godder or a little godder? Do you believe that our God is truly omnipotent and all-powerful? Is he powerful enough to heal a marriage? Is he strong enough to provide for physical needs and wise enough to know what they are? Is your God able to make you an effective parent? Raising children can be an almost impossible challenge. Is your Heavenly Father up to it? Can he help you do your job? Can he help you with the challenges of your career? Can he help you find a job? Is his hearing sensitive enough to hear your prayers? Now, I want you to use your miracle-empowered ears to hear me because my God can do anything. In fact, God can even miraculously transform your life just to see transform that water i mean if we focus only on those stone water pots we miss the whole point because jesus is all about total transformation as someone once put it he turned water into wine he turns frowns into smiles He turns whimpers of fear into songs of hope. He turns deserts into gardens, sorrow into joy, sin into grace, death into life. Whenever Jesus comes into life, there is a new quality there, which is like turning water into wine. Without Jesus, life is dull and stale and flat. But when Jesus comes into life, life becomes vivid and sparkling and exciting. Wherever Jesus went, whenever he came into a life, it was like turning water into wine. And it still is. That's the way it was for me. 
And if he has done that in your life, then you know what I'm talking about. Maturing believers know this. They know that Jesus has unlimited power, enough power to handle any problem that we face, no matter how big. So when they go to him, when the wine runs out, they go to Jesus when they face that impossible situation. But you know, Christ followers don't just go to him with big needs. We go to him no matter what the size of the problem is that we face. It says in scripture, we're to cast all our cares upon him, not just the big ones. And I run across so many people that they, 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 they think, well, my stuff is just too little for God to be concerned about. If he could be concerned about that wedding and about the fact that, that they were running out of wine in that little nondescript place that was a suburb of Nazareth, he's showing he's concerned about the little things, the little things that concern you. If they're your concern, they're his concern because he's concerned about you. He cares for you. We know God cares about the little things in our lives. Remember, Jesus did his first, his first miracle in this village. He wasn't surrounded by vast multitudes. His first miracle happened in a home. His first uh, manifest glory was done to save a family from hurt and humiliation. This shows that God cares about every problem that we face, big and small. We can come boldly before his throne, no matter what size our burden, knowing that God sympathizes with our weaknesses. And in his mercy, he will give us grace to help in time of need. There's an old legend about when Jesus was a little boy in Nazareth, a little baby in Nazareth. And the legend says that in those days when people felt tired or worried or upset, they'd say, let's go look at Mary's child. And they would go and they'd look at Jesus and somehow their troubles just rolled away. Well, of course, that's just a legend. But I know from personal experience that when I turn to Jesus, when things go wrong, I am not disappointed because he makes my burden his own. How about you? How about you? As we come to the Lord's table this morning, is there something that's been just kind of nattering and bugging you that you haven't brought to him because you thought it was too small? Or something that they're so, just so huge, you don't think that there's anything can be done about it. Well, he's made it clear through this account from his life that he is able, he is willing, and he cares. And what he wants us to do is to bring that problem, that challenge to him, and then do what he says to do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.